Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... I'm ready. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 26 of Working Title, the podcast where we talk about movies, some of which are good. Um, what are we watching and talking about this week? None other. We're, well, we're taking a step back in time. Uh, we kind of started in the 40s, worked our way back to the you know modern movies, took a brief step back to the 70s to pretend we were in the 50s with uh, Peter Bogdanovich. And now we're actually back in the 50s with The Night of the Hunter, a film that You'll be happy to know June is legitimately black and white, though I don't know if that really helps it that much. (laughs) So, uh, what is The Night of the Hunter? It's another film based on a book. It is a thriller from 1955, starring Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, Lillian Gish, and um, kind of a a drama as two children have to uh, outwit a con man serial killer to keep uh, some money. Wait, that was a thriller? <laughs> I was thoroughly unthrilled. Halfway through, I stopped and actually thought, is this a horror movie? I thought it was going to break into Home Alone at any moment. There were some Home Alone <laughs> moments, that's for sure. <laughs> in my I do have that in my notes. <laughs> it wasn't just me. Home Alone was actually a remake of this movie. <laughs> so, before we start talking about the movie, let's introduce the reviewers in the studio. And as we introduce ourselves, we're going to, just to help you get to know us, we're all going to share what movie, if we were visited by aliens, uh, what movie would we show them? If we could only show them one, what would it be? Mike? I would go with the uh, the American classic Independence Day. Ask them not to blow up the White House? <laughs> no, 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 just to show them that we're not going to fuck around. Also, it says, it says, welcome to Earth in it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's really just a prepackaged greeting aliens movie. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> um Yeah, I guess on a similar note, if I had to show a movie to aliens to kind of set the tone, I'd probably go for District 9. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that was Stole my mine. second choice. I was going to be like, "So, are you how does that make you feel?" <laughs> but I can claim plausible deniability because I sound le- nothing like the the protagonist of the movie. We're reaching a theme here already that they're not welcome. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, hello, my name is Shane, and what I would do would be Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I would say, how much of this is bullshit? Would you show them that so that they would leave? Well, I'd, I'd just do it to find out if, like, George Lucas was onto something. You're going to show them Star Wars? <laughs> this is a, a fact-finding expedition for you? Like, if they were like, that's horse shit, we never visited the ancient Mayans, they'd be like, oh, okay, you can kill us now. <laughs> Listen, we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta get some things straightened out right away. Yeah, I need to know, are there ancient aliens? <laughs> uh, June? Uh, well, I too was gonna say District 9, because, you know, you have to establish dominance early. Agreed. But I guess I just go with the last picture show, so they <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> You think they'll make it an hour in? <laughs> like there's, there's nothing worth shit on this planet. <laughs> All right. 
We've all <laughs> saved humanity with our movie choices. <laughs> Alrighty, so Night of the Hunter. Um, another, in my opinion, good option for that uh, <laughs> mission, June. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what is this about? Uh, it is kind of sort of based on a true story. Uh, the gist is, is two kids, their dad steals a bunch of money and another guy comes after the money and somehow these two children um, have to not give him the money. I'm going to put my cards <laughs> on the table from the get-go. Uh, I, thanks for listening, everybody. And <laughs> I do not enjoy movies with child actors. Oh, agreed, especially 1950s child actors. And um, I I can think of maybe three movies that were enjoyable in spite of having like a bunch of children in important roles, and they're all by Wes Anderson. <laughs> I so, would have watched uh, his version of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he can't get enough like of the weird color palette in, <laughs> in black and white. Anyway, well, I guess uh, um, to get us started, you know, Mike, what tell us what happens here? Good luck. Yeah, well, you already kind of hit it on the beginning. Uh, so it starts with the self-proclaimed preacher who is a uh, he's he hates women who are um, tantalizing, and he uh, he's been going across the country murdering women, taking their money, and moving on, and pretending to be this preacher guy. Uh, we also have the father of the main character, John, who's the who's the son that we're going to follow throughout the film. And his sister, um, whose name is Pearl, and they are playing in their front yard when uh, their dad comes rushing down the driveway in a car, jumps out, and he's got this stack of money and a gun. And he he goes over to John, and and he can hear the sirens coming in the background, and he, he tells John that he needs to swear that he won't tell the police or anybody else where he's hiding this money. He's got like $10,000 that he got from a bank robbery. So the dad takes the money. You don't see where he goes with it, but he runs over and hides the money somewhere. He also tells his daughter, Pearl, to also swear not to tell where the money is. Uh, the police show up. They arrest the father and um, send him to jail. Uh, this is where we also uh, have the preacher who has also gone to jail from the very beginning. Um, he gets arrested for something. What does he get arrested for? He's like driving a stolen car. Yeah, so he's he's driving a stolen and car. Murder. The preacher... And the, and the preacher goes to jail, and he's been sentenced for like 30 days in jail while the father of the two kids is sentenced to death. Um, while they're in jail together, they're sharing a cell. The dad keeps mumbling in his sleep, and he, he's revealing that there is um, this $10,000 of stolen money somewhere on his property. Um, so the preacher overhears this, and he's going to, once he gets out, he's going to go looking for the money. So that's the beginning of it. That's kind of what the, the story kicks off, and this is why the preacher ends up showing up at John and Pearl's house, who still live with their mother, who is a, um, she keeps saying that she's this independent woman and that she doesn't need no man. But as soon as the preacher shows up, all the people she works for, Mrs. Spoon and her husband, are kind of like egging her to talk with the preacher. Uh, the preacher shows up under disguise of saying that he worked at the prison and he wanted to come and tell some nice things to the family. He says that the dad spoke uh, highly of the kids and... He wants to, I don't know, help out and be there for them. So he kind of like wiggles his way into the small town and settles in with um, the the widow of the uh, the father. I don't remember her name. Um, Doesn't matter. So John and Pearl, they kind of are a little bit split on 
on how they feel about this new guy, the preacher, who, uh, by the way, he's he's OG. He's got tattoos on his hand. On his left hand, he has the word love, and on his right hand, he has the word hate, uh, which he uses to show the people how hate and love kind of battle and love overtakes evil, which is kind of like his uh, his shtick into getting people to trust him as a preacher. <laughs> um, John also has an uncle who is an alcoholic that works on a barge. And he's uh, building a skiff with his uncle, kind of having a heart-to-heart with him. They're really close, but like I said, this uncle's an alcoholic, and uh, he's got issues as well. After the preacher kind of comes in, it's been, I don't know how long. This movie is not very good at passing time. <laughs> the, no, the, the, the about, widow, a, about a decade in. Or it could be three days in. Yeah, we have no idea. But we, but we do know, though, in the short amount of time, or long amount of time... Um, the widow decides to marry the preacher, and so he becomes the new stepdad. And uh, during uh, the conversation with the with the preacher talking to John, John slips that he knows where the money is. Now this evil guy, this murderer, this serial killer is is trying to get the money, right? But uh, his new wife, John's mother, she gets convinced and brainwashed by the preacher that. Um, any kind of like physical interaction between them is, is is a sin and evil, and she becomes very subservient to him and almost starts like an, another cult following in this town. They're super religious people, uh, which ends up leading to her death. And this is because the uh, the preacher is caught kind of abusing the children, and he kills the the mother and puts her in a car, drives the car into the uh, the river, and sinks it to the bottom of the river where their uncle, the alcoholic, sees her at the bottom of the river, and instead of going to the cops or, or telling anybody, he immediately assumes that he's going to be for blame for killing her for some reason, and so he decides to drink and not tell anybody. And this is a, this is a great part to pause, because this is, this is where I'm going to start for the rest of the movie. It's just going to be a rant. So <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's just so much to bitch about. <laughs> I, I think we're all just holding back. Like I said, I didn't really take notes on this one, so if I missed anything, bring it up, because what I'm going to want to talk about now is I just want to go back and just hit on the, the shit that was dumb. I want to uh, talk about one thing at the very beginning. Uh, the moment this movie lost me in the first 15 seconds, <laughs> <laughs> with five disembodied heads of children floating in front of the night sky, singing. Were they singing? <laughs> oh my god. It's like, like doing Zordon impressions. So it's like this is what I'm in for. On a similar vein, uh, that ties in very well to how this movie has no identity. Yes. Uh, but one thing I want to mention in the opening is well, first of all, so I I looked it up. The budget of this movie is six hundred thousand dollars, which in Holy 1955 uh, was was almost six million. Jesus Christ. And what did they spend it on? Uh, I could tell you, it's the shaky aerial shots that they did. Yeah, the yeah, freaking biplane shots. <laughs> I feel like the cameraman was strapped to the wing. Is this Vietnam War footage from a Huey? Like, <laughs> I don't think they had helicopters in 1955. <laughs> they developed helicopters for this movie. <laughs> I thought that too as they're coming in the camera's just like ah! <laughs> yeah, I have a note saying drone cams have come a long way since 1955 and then the other thing was that like law and order opening yeah or like that CSI opening like the kids are playing like hide and seek and right? then one kid goes to hide in the cellar and then pauses 
and it, like the camera comes down and there's a a presumably dead woman's uh leg uh, visible from the cellar yeah. <laughs> she's like special <laughs> victims unit <you know? laughs> i forgot all about that that did so yeah that whole beginning was so weird I, I think the implication is it was what's his name Powell's yeah like Powell's victim kind of sets him up as a, a killer and he's so, driving so away in the beginning it's really that was just to establish the fact that he's been moving from town to town murdering as he goes right right I yeah. thought that was like a flash forward and uh, like that was gonna be to his it. mom <laughs> and then it never but by the time I had forgotten about everything because I was just in survival mode with this movie <laughs> I was just taken frame by frame and looking at the time going fuck we still have 45 minutes left <laughs> it was uh so 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 the first shot was the disembodied children's head singing with the grandma and then right after that was the aerial shots with the murdered lady in the cellar and then right after that was the preacher sitting at a uh, a cabaret club like losing his mind in anger he's watching this lady dance around on stage and he's like puts his hate hand in his pocket and Turns this switchblade on and shoves through his fucking pants. <laughs> I was picturing this movie, especially that scene, being redone now with Ryan Gosling as Powell. Because I feel Ryan like Ryan Gosling. Because he could yeah, sell definitely. that like kind of weird but likable dude. This guy's just charming, and then all of a sudden starts stabbing people and howling. Yeah, I'm picturing just plays a good drive, <laughs> but with this movie and more driving. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no. So let, let's take a step back a second to the the point where um, John, Johnny, John, whatever his name is, John's John uh, boy. Yeah, his dad shows up. Uh, you know, sirens in the background, and he spends all this time like looking around. Where am I going to hide this money? Where am I going to hide this money? Oh, I got it. And then like this weird. What the fuck is this plan? Like <laughs> he didn't premeditate this at all. It's like he just thought. I'm going to rob a bank and then did it. And he's like, oh, fuck, what do I do after I rob the bank? So he swears his son to secrecy. He hides the money inside the doll. Sews up the doll. Yeah, quickly. This doll is <laughs> uh, broken apart and resewn like twice in this movie. And it's never really acknowledged. But anyway, what's his end game? Like, what if she the money, loses the doll? Put the money in the doll. Swear your son to secrecy. Tell him not to tell even his mother and is this his college fund or something? <laughs> it's an airtight plan. <laughs> yeah, and then gets arrested in front of his family, and uh, what's his... the uh, what's the uh, the not the, the opposite of depreciation? What is the uh, in- inflation, inflation of ten thousand dollars to this to the today? So if the fifties, that means his son would probably be going to college in the sixties. No, I'm just saying, how much is ten thousand dollars? It's like today? ninety. It's like ninety-seven thousand. So it's under a hundred thousand, and all right, that's like not that much to die for. I'd die for less. Why was he hanged? <laughs> well, I guess he killed two people. Yeah, he killed two people during the bank robbery. Okay, and so that that brings me to another issue. So they hang this guy, right? And then everyone just kind of forgets about the money, besides you know Powell and the kids. Yep. Like the the police, the law enforcement have no seemingly no interest in recovering it nope and the mom doesn't like really push for like hey we really need to know what your dad did with the money i think it's what it's, it's established pretty early that the cops in this town are terrible 
Like, they, they just roll in four of them, and it's the same four later in the film, and arrest the dude. Just drag them off. They don't, like, console the kids. Like, they just leave two kids standing in the yard while they drag away the father. There's definitely some setup issues at the beginning here, because I thought, like, I didn't realize this preacher dude was a serial killer. Because they, they did that opening shot with the with the dead woman, and then he's in the theater. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, so that guy killed that girl, and then... It was like you're sentenced to thirty days. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I guess he didn't. Yeah, the stolen car. I guess they they kind of the only way they set it up was during his monologue in his head when he's watching the the dancer. He says you can't. He what is he, he says he can't kill them all. You can't can't kill them all. Right. Pow. Didn't they introduce a detective too that was like, ah, oh, I got him finally or something? Oh yeah, the the guard who was I like. I thought the movie was going to be about that detective tracking Pal down because he knows he's a con artist and it's like a race against time. You mean the guard that went home and told his wife he doesn't want to be a guard anymore? Yeah. What was that scene for? Oh my god. <laughs> that was the end of the Untouchables portion of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, it becomes the Retouchables. The Retouchables. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the scenes in this movie felt like they had filmed a bunch of stuff and then uh, they ran out of time so they just started being like okay we need to cut this and uh, just stick it in the beginning and then take the ending and put it at the uh, at the middle part and then move the beginning to the end like it's just all these like little tiny cuts it was like they wrote this movie while filming <laughs> yeah. this made the killing look airtight and it's based <laughs> off a book they just had to <laughs> They weren't filming it as they were reading the book. <laughs> oh, fuck. It wasn't that lady. We gotta oh, go back, guys. this doesn't make sense now. <laughs> all right, everyone. Welcome to filming day four. Uh, did you all finish chapter two? <laughs> um, so another thing, too, that I, I guess I'm not quite sure I follow. I, I follow, but I don't understand why. So uh, Powell gets the info from, uh, you know, the the dad in prison because he starts sleep talking, which is a really weird depiction of sleep talking. And sleep talking seems like a major issue for any kind of secret plot thing. <laughs> um, but even then, like, I, I'm skeptical about that, right? But even then, uh, once it's clear that uh, the dad, he knows that uh, Powell knows the money's out there. How does Powell find, you know, his hometown, right? How does he find his kids? Was he like, all right, this guy uh, clearly knows uh, about the money and he'll be out of prison in like two weeks. So what's wrong with telling him about my family and where I live? Well, yeah, right. and how many people on your sleep talking thing are that coherent? Like maybe he said $10,000, but I feel like he'd be like, scrambled eggs. No, $10,000, not by the hornet's nest. And, you're like, <laughs> and the guy's like, ah, oh, he has money. Well, even even more disturbing is the fact that when he finds out that he's been sleep talking is he takes his dirty sock out of his shoe and bundles it up and shoves it in his own mouth to go back to sleep. I could not fall asleep like that. That's real. <laughs> that's, that's commitment to sleep. Oh, my God. Yeah, the whole setup is weird. And then the whole Miss Spoon. Oh, God, that lady's awful. <laughs> where she's like. I see Spoon. I see Spoon. Yeah. <laughs> But she's like, you can't raise kids on your own. You're like, okay, this makes sense for the time period. And then she's like, what about that guy? Marry him. <laughs> that woman so, is so fucking awful. Oh. While they're chatting, the the mom, Willa, looks at the camera like 
constantly <laughs> she'll like look away then look back like out of the corner of her eye at the camera just just staring at it. i don't know if they were trying to like suggest that she was looking at something past the camera but it looks like she's just looking <laughs> right at the camera or her whole her whole character was holes the whole time like she's the beginning she's like after the dad goes to jail and dies she's she's telling miss spoon that she doesn't need a man and who knows how long it passed but and what seems like a short amount of time she certainly like there is only one the, character pal guy with the developed character at all and that's pal everyone else is so surface level or just does what the plot needs like pal is the only person that has any sort of like you go oh okay he's got a character everyone else is like deadbeat mom crazy grandma stupid sister like, even even powell was kind of like the whole finger tattoos thing that didn't feel like an interesting aspect of his character it just felt like something they put in so he could do that weird speech well about. i imagine that the director was like yeah and everywhere he goes he tells the same speech but it's like cool he's like there's love and there's hate but, but no. he's like and then they wrestle unsolicited nobody asked he's like I love Congress hate and hates winning but love comes back in the end I I pictured like this eloquent speech that you're like oh that's cool and then he keeps doing it and it loses its coolness but he's like like, but then love wins and everyone's like wow (laughs) (laughs) It was like liar liar wrestling with himself with the claw. <laughs> like <laughs> the uh, when he's done, everyone's like, "That's nice." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That guy's gotten on to something." <laughs> I don't think we're glossing over the the people in this town are definitely um, unaware of the weirdest things. Uh, the mom when after they on their wedding night, she's in the bathroom like making herself look good, and she she comes out of the bathroom and his Powell's jacket's hanging on the door. And she reaches into his pocket, pulls out the switchblade. First off, why did she reach in the pocket? Why the fuck? She just reaches in, pulls out the switchblade and goes, ha ha, boys, and then puts it back in and then goes to bed. It's like covered in blood. (laughs) Also, he had it in prison, too. Like, did they not, like, check his pocket? That's right. He said he snuck it past the guards, like, a whole switchblade. Like, he definitely prison pursed that, but... (laughs) Um, or that everyone in the 1950s is okay with a tattooed preacher like this isn't fucking today nobody listens to kids either the kids are constantly like he's abusing us and they're like oh you kids you shut up your mom needs a man they're also kind of dumb and there was that scene where like right after their 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 dad is hanged and the other guy gets and powell gets out of prison he starts telling it's the most annoying like literary device where uh what's her name uh pearl Uh. like tell me a story (laughs) he just starts telling this weird retelling of the plot of the movie so far (laughs) (laughs) he's like well there was this king and he had two children and it's like what we watched this. We we know. And then the children told the king where they buried his money. <laughs> but then he goes so far as to say, like, and then the king told his children to kill anyone that tries to come for the money and for the gold. <laughs> Jesus. 
Wait, when was this speech? Was this in front of, like, adults? It was, uh, John, uh, telling a bedtime story to Pearl. And, um, (laughs) and then, like, the ominous, like, uh, shadow of Powell comes in through the window. Oh, yeah. And they pause. And he goes and looks out the window. There's just a guy staring into the window, standing by the lantern. He he literally is, like, he stares at him, and he's just like, ah, it's just a man. It's just just a a man. (laughs) (laughs) It's 10 p.m. This uh, this guy's staring in our window from the street. Yeah. All right. So okay. a couple couple points here. Uh, uh, the, the the father must not have known his kids very well, because if he trusted Pearl to not tell anybody shit, <laughs> like come yeah. on. First right. of all, Pearl was a little psychopath. Like she speaks like a 60 year old Southern woman. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people say yonder in this movie. <laughs> the dad gave the big speech to to John. It was like five minutes while the cops were coming. He could have used that five minutes to hide the money better. And then he looks at Pearl and just says, you too. If Pearl is not afraid of anything. Well, she maybe, just stares yonder. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's like, a, maybe it was a better plan than I thought. Because if I was Powell and Pearl comes up and is like, tell me another secret about my dad. I'd be like, get <laughs> Fuck out of here, you freaking weirdo! <laughs> or like when they're being chased by him, she's like, "I'm hungry." She's like, what the yeah. fuck is you, wrong you know with what? you? You know what? I, I think I'm gonna go to the next town. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna gloss over this one. My uh, my other point though is an actual plus. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so like the, the whole like the the mise en scène, if you will, of the this p- portion here. I thought it was very good because it, it describes itself as a film noir, which really, yeah, uh, eh, eh. yeah. but it did have some of the key facets that that I thought were done very well. The the low key lighting, Jack mentioned the shadow in the um, in the window. Um, the lighting was very good, but there was one scene in particular where it did it very well, and then we kind of never saw it again. It was when he murders uh, Willa. Was the mom, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're in this like vaulted ceiling room. Mm-hmm. And the lighting is so well done that all you see is like the point of the vault and and everything else is, is kind of blacked out. Um and you see some light coming in from the skylight. I thought that was very good. Does that help with the film noir? I argument? I think the filming like the actual cinematography in the movie is kind of interesting, especially for the time. I don't feel like I've seen a movie from that time that's a lot like this. But the well, script is just abhorrent. Yeah, and it, it even the the good parts about um, the set design and all that. It, it was almost like somebody came in and was like, "Okay, hey, this is the scene where we need to put some like cinematography shit in it." <laughs> and For it, real, it, you know, because it's not consistent throughout the whole thing. No, there's no um, like vision. There's it's just like they were making it up as they filmed it. Because, like, even with this kind of movie where your bad guy is supposed to be this very likable person that fools everybody, but the kids know he's evil, they spend no time making him likable or, like, doing anything Ooh. that's likable with people. Like, ah, he's a preacher. That's good enough. He just sings at picnics, and people are like, oh, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> and he arm wrestles himself. Yeah, and, like, he doesn't oh, slowly convert Willa. You know, and there's no, like, switchblade. seducing her. He's just like, look at yourself, and then like goes back to sleep, and that's the conversion of Willa. I know this. The it's the 
are, are you the women are for building kids are you gonna have a kid and he's like no and he's like well that's that yeah I, it's everything is so rushed along speaking of which ready for the next part hit me all right so after the mom dies which i refuse to know her name um <laughs> Some time passes, and uh, Powell has now, I don't know, he's hes just stalking the children around the house, and they're hiding for who knows how long. They're covered in dirt and grime. For they look years. Like shit. Yeah, it's like a while. <laughs> They've been eating rats in the basement. Um, so Powell finds them in, in the basement, and they're hiding out down there. And before he's able to go down and get them, the, uh, the Mrs. Spoon shows up to like bring over some dinner. And, and it gives the kids an opportunity to, I guess, try to escape. But in their attempt, um, he starts, like, starving them. Like, he's sitting in the kitchen and he's like, has all this food. And the little girl, Pearl, wants to eat. But he's like, you can't eat until you tell me where the money is. And John, he decides to step in and he makes up a lie and says that the money's in the basement. And so uh, Powell takes them down to the basement to find the money <clears throat> where... We enter the home alone sequence. (laughs) So while while searching for the money in the basement, um, John sees an opportunity to try to escape where there's a a piece of wood that's holding up a shelf with a bunch of mason jars on it. And John grabs a piece of wood and and Hulk strength rips it out of the wall. And this shelf falls down on top of um, Powell's head, kind of knocks him to the ground. And it gives him an opportunity with Pearl and John to run up the staircase where they uh, lock the door behind him and lock Powell in the basement. Um, their uncle, the drunk, had told John earlier in the film that if he ever was in trouble, that he would help them. So he takes Pearl and they run down to the, to the barge where the uncle lives on the river, uh, where he is passed out drunk from feeling the guilt of not murdering somebody. Um, <laughs> so, feeling the guilt of not murdering That's true. <laughs> so... John then takes Pearl to the skiff that the uncle had built up for them to go fishing, which is down river, and uh, they barely escape with Powell uh, comes over the top and almost gets to them, but he gets stuck in a bog. So John and Pearl are now on this boat, and the current sweeps them down river um, for a number of days. We don't know how long they're on the river, but it's a while. And while they're while they're going along, they keep stopping at little farms and, and houses to get food, and they pull up to one shack where there's a bunch of other... Uh, like road warrior children like this old lady <laughs> handing out food to, like I am liking Mike's movie better than the one I watched <laughs> the, the, the woman says like all these kids are like roaming the roads these days and so like John and Pearl show up and sh- they get a potato and they get back in their boat and continue down now they're river people and so they continue down the river where they eventually get to a um, a farm and then John decides that they're going to sleep in the barn that night so they get out uh, they go into this barn, and while they're sleeping in the barn, uh, Powell shows back up. So a little bit of a flashback during um, Pearl and John's riverboat excursion. We find out that Powell had left a note for Mrs. Spoon and her husband um, saying that he took the children to his sister's farm uh, to, you know, hang out there for a while. And they believe it, uh, but it's revealed from the dad or from the, uh, the husband of Mrs. Spoon, Mr. Spoon, that... Uh, Recently, some gypsies had murdered his father and stolen his horse, and it flashes over to Powell, who's riding a horse. So uh, Powell apparently murdered the husband and stole a horse to go looking for the kids. So he's ru- he's riding down the river looking for these children on this horse, 
And uh, while they're in the barn, they hear him singing and they can see him off in the distance. So they panic, jump back in the boat and continue down the river where they pass out during the night and they wake up on the banks of uh, this old woman's um, property. And this old woman whose name is Rachel, Rachel Cooper, she um, I guess she's a an old widower who has been bringing in other orphans. She has three other orphans already living with her and she decides to take in Pearl and John and uh, give them sanctuary at her, at her estate there. Mm, the orphan collector. <laughs> the prequel to the bone collector. Is this a pause? This is a pause. Okay. Ah, okay. All right. So <laughs> are we supposed to believe that the uncle dude Fished up a Model T with a f- woman in it with a cane pole in his <laughs> tiny canoe. He was catching gar. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, Model T is nothing. <laughs> he he looked like the water is really clear and he could see it at the bottom of the river. Yeah, which w- wow, what a terrible way to get rid of a body in a two foot river. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have an even <laughs> different gripe. During the fishing scene, he he rips a gar out of the river just like and he flings it like across the, the <laughs> boat into his boat and he grabs a paddle an oar and he just starts beating it to death <laughs> um so this is the section of the film that i call the the straight story sequence uh so and and i also figured out this is where the other half of the six hundred thousand dollar budget went is oh, they building these sets <laughs> no they rented out an entire zoo just so they could get animal b-roll oh i know yeah, there were like frogs and foxes and shit that were just Hurdle. cut in every like 30 seconds. The B-roll was so unnecessary. I was trying to figure out the symbolism if there was, but they were so random with their cuz they were saying like like f- good little flies and they'd show like a spider web and a frog and I was like, "So they're showing things that eat flies?" And then there's a fox and I was like, "I don't fucking know, dude." And I don't know <laughs> if you guys noticed there's so there's a lot of these overhead shots of the their uh, what did you call it? A skiff? Yeah, um, yeah. Floating down the river. So it's a straight up overhead shot and they're sleeping or whatever and it's rolling down. It's about as exciting as that I made it sound. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I thought those were at least some of like the more interesting parts of the movie from a like a craft perspective. In <laughs> well, that like at least it was like a style and it was kind of interesting and funny you bring up crafts because <laughs> did you guys notice that fake ass spider web? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like made of silly string. Ugh. Um and then during all of those scenes there is clearly a line attached to the front of the boat. And the owl. It's like pulling it forward. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. the, the, the owl comes later, but yeah. They yank the owl out of the tree. It's a real owl with a string on it. <laughs> That's at the end. We'll get to that. <laughs> if if I'm being candid, this is the part of the movie where I got so bored that I started reading installation instructions for a new toilet seat that I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so sad that like the uncle character, who you're kind of like, okay, I guess it, his payoff is not that he actually helps the children escape. Like that would be a good payoff for him, where like he has to fight Pal or do something. No. He, for some reason, thinks that finding a body in the river means you're going to prison and just drinks until he can't move, and that's it. He just built a boat. That's all he did. Speaking of drinking, my favorite scene is in this section uh, Uh, with Mr. Spoon when uh, 
Oh yeah. Uh, Powell, Powell comes into the what was it a fucking ice cream shop or some shit? They, they, it was like oh, a drugstore. The, the yeah. soda store. Yeah. So he comes in and and uh, and icy I think is her name. Yeah, icy spoon. What a fucking stupid name. Icy <laughs> so so Mr. Powell is in the other. He's she's like yeah Mr. Powell's in there. His the wife ran away like he's all distraught and uh, he. <laughs> He comes in and is like, well, I have some, like, peach liquor or some shit. And he's like, he's a preacher. And he like, goes cross-eyed and just takes a swig of it. Yeah. <laughs> a preacher with tattoos. I think he'll have a sip of brandy or whatever the fuck you got. Like, <laughs> He's a yeah. preacher. Uh, so I think, um... And he's. I think this is the part where he's even like, I don't know about him. I got weird feelings. And she's like, you're crazy. He's beautiful. God, Mrs. Spoon. Oh, uh, this is just about is Spoon a... thirsting over him the entire time and forcing him on everybody else. I got a, a few other things that um, so much of this chase sequence is, you know, uh, predicated on the notion that Powell cannot walk fast <laughs> <laughs> on a horse. <laughs> well, Can't walk like the they, speed of a they boat. Dropped, oh, that's right. uh, some bottles on his head and run upstairs and he has to do this like weird Frankenstein walk up the stairs <laughs> oh, to get yeah. Oh, yeah, and he slips on a jar like this would have been better yeah. if they would have made John like set some traps just simple ones <laughs> just a little home aloneing speaking of what Wes Anderson making this movie that was like a Wes Anderson shot though of him coming up the stairs after the kids it looked like they looked like they were almost puppets yeah, I was just missing like lighthearted music. <laughs> dun, 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 yeah, dun, dun, dun. The, the strokes. <laughs> <laughs> the strokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he wanders through the bog in the forest. Like, <laughs> he, he can't walk through the bog as they're like uh, poking their way with the oar to push yeah. him off. He definitely can't swim. So. Oh, that too. He's standing in two feet of water like, damn you, kids. <laughs> There's a scene later where he's he's clearly not very agile. We'll get to it in a second, but um, yeah. I got one more thing here. When they go to sleep in the barn, John, you know, wakes up and he sees the silhouette of Powell in the distance on a horse. And for about a good minute, he sits there staring at him and is like, "Does that man ever sleep or some shit like that?" And he's just like, not alerted at all. And then it's a <laughs> quick cut to the next scene. And he's like. Pearl, wake up! We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, it's not, just a man. It is just a man. He's not stealthy. He's always like, I'm just gonna wander the river singing. Those kids will never know I'm coming. <laughs> oh no, he's not, he's not. So this is where this is where the time comes weird again because I keep saying like I don't know how long it's been. At one point, Powell gets a job picking peaches, and like while looking for the kids. There's a brief, like, intermission where he's preaching to a bunch of peach pickers dressed in overalls like he's been working on a peach farm. <laughs> oh, that's right. It just changes. Like, is he there to get info about where the kids might have been? Why would I think these he actually people got a know? job. I think he actually was trying to earn some money. <laughs> Had a couple kids. <laughs> Killed a couple people. <laughs> I, this book was probably actually pretty good. I could see how it could be a really interesting book. But... Well, it's based off of a true story. Oh, fuck me. Wait, so there was just river children? And a dude was well, chasing river children in real life? Packs of feral children <laughs> running around. You think people would be more alerted to a serial killer that's been like well-known in the area for killing people, and when kids are telling their parents, like, hey, 
this guy is like killing my mom and he's doing bad things. Everybody just blows it off. Stupid think, kids. Um, you don't know what you're talking think, about. He's beautiful. Think Ohio would be a little bit more self-aware about that kind of. Well, John didn't help the situation either because he was super cryptic. Like, why didn't he go up to the lady and was like, hey, listen, my dad murdered some people and stole a fuck ton of money and then uh, they hit it. We have it. Uh, we, and there's a fucking, it. there's a preacher. Uh, he murdered my mom and now he's after us for the money. He's super easy to tell who he is. He's got tattoos on his knuckles, right? Hit this shit. One says hate and one says love. Oh, you mean the drifter that just came in? No way a drifter murdered somebody. That guy's awesome. <laughs> Have you heard him sing? <laughs> That's a so June. You said earlier in the podcast that uh, the little girl Pearl is like a, a six-year-old woman embodied in her, a six-year-old yeah. Southern woman. I think you said that. So I think you're right. I think she's possessed by a six-year-old woman because in on the boat when they barely escape with their lives, they're sailing along and Pearl starts singing. Oh, um, yeah. And it's this like very adult song that she sings perfectly in like perfect tone. Yeah, well, I, I noted that down. Is that, like, actually her singing? No. no it doesn't it matter for at all. Okay. <laughs> but it was, uh, it's creepy as hell, though. Because these kids are such bad actors, they can't even lip sing. But it's this, it's this song. Like, she's, she must know what's happening. Like, she acts like she doesn't know what the fuck's going on the entire movie. But that song, she's singing about two children running away and flying into the sky. It's like, this fucking... She knows. She knows what's happening. <laughs> she knows she's got ten grand in her doll. Oh, yeah. No, she doesn't, because she cuts it up and makes fucking paper dolls out of it. <laughs> oh, oh, that's no. right. Yeah, she cuts the doll open and like pulls all the money out. And the next scene, it's it's all back together. They stuffed it all back in and sewed this doll up. <laughs> well, and I'm just thinking about Pal. Why didn't Pal, if he's willing to marry the mother and do all this shit to like find the money, why didn't he just play the long game and just be nice to the kids? And then John, like lull John into a false sense of security and be like, hey man, like. Family's falling on hard times here. If only we had $10,000. <laughs> I think we've established we don't know how long this time has been. Could have been 10 years. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of weird to just show up and be like, I married your mom and I'll kill you. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> so that the scene where he the, she cuts open the doll and the money's everywhere, that was a little too close for comfort. like Or too close to be believable. Yeah. Oh, I know. Powell walks up slowly behind them. Like, what are you, what are you guys playing with? John's like nothing as he's stuffing <laughs> dollars into the <laughs> yeah and like it's uh, that scene there's no way he would just eh, yeah I guess he's just playing with a doll well his like, back's turned to him and he's frantically stuffing something in what are you doing over there John oh ah, no, nothing ah, don't come over <laughs> don't look these people get stressed out too easy I'm thinking about ways that you can make it a better thriller like instead of that just have her playing with one of those little dollar people and then the bad guy comes in and goes like, where did you get this? And you're like, uh-oh. Yeah, like, that well, actually would have been a lot better. There's so many more <sighs> subtle thrills that they could have done, but they were so eager to get on the riverboat gambling trip that like, <laughs> <laughs> that we just well, rushed through everything. I just can't get over like, why would you entrust children with this? Why children would... <laughs> are like trivial, easy, trivially easy to fool. Ugh. I just gotta say, like, I bet you can't find ten thousand dollars. And I was like, Oh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I just... And we haven't even gotten to the worst part, which is the whole orphanage where yeah, they let's, do let's everything they can to fuck this up. Take us forward, Mike. 
take it take us to the end take us home where we left off with um them getting to uh rachel cooper's place right yes all right so uh john and pearl they get taken in by this woman rachel cooper who's also been raising a bunch of other orphans and she is this um kind of rambling old woman she's always talking about how she's a big tree with many branches and she's trying to her her deal in life is that she is capable of taking care of, of of a lot of like these orphan children so she lives right on the outskirts of one of the big cities and she sells her goods goes to town and has her um orphan children kind of uh help her with the job of selling the goods to the market while they're in the town, one of the uh, older of the orphans, the oldest girl, she is struggling with her, um, I guess, her own sexuality. She's kind of a, a post-pubescent kind of a, a, a woman now, and she has a couple of, like, suitors in the town. But the preacher has also been kind of scoping out the town looking for John and Pearl as well. So, I guess the preacher finds out that this older orphan girl, I don't even know her name, knows uh, about two children who just showed up in a riverboat, and he takes her to get ice cream, and she reveals that John and Pearl have uh, been living with Rachel Cooper at their house. So the preacher shows up at the house, <laughs> and the the Rachel comes out and is the only character in this entire film that actually believes John, where John, again, he's not really saying anything, but then he, he bursts out that... This is not his dad. And at this point, the preacher pulls out a switchblade, goes after John and the doll. And uh, Rachel comes out with a shotgun and uh, tells tells the preacher like, she's to get off her, his, her property, right? So as, as the preacher's leaving, he like has a switchblade out and he tells Rachel that he's going to be back that night to kill them. Um, at this point, Rachel doesn't call the cops yet, right? She decides to... To just, you know, stake out the, the farmstead that night. And so she's staying up night with her shotgun. And the fucking preacher guy's sitting out in the front yard singing on a stump watching her. Um, <laughs> she where, sings along. Yeah, she sings along with him. And so then the daughter, or the, not the daughter, the, the older orphan girl who was, she, had, she has a thing for Powell now. Um, <sighs> Stockholm Syndrome after two minutes. Comes down the stairs <laughs> with a light and kind of gives Powell an opportunity to, to slink into the darkness. And uh, so now everybody's on high alert and Rachel's like, has all the kids in the kitchen. She's got her shotgun ready and she's telling them stories about the Bible. Um, Powell makes it into the kitchen, right? And due to a cat who Powell steps on, he freaks out and steps up and he screams and Rachel turns around and screams and, and shoots him with the shotgun. And then he like, just like, oh! <laughs> he goes running out of the kitchen, like across the yard, just howling and, and goes and hides in the barn. And at this point now, Rachel gets on the phone, calls the cops and the cops show up the next day. So they come in hot, though. Like they come down the driveway, like full speed and they all hop out. And they're like, you should have called us earlier. Um, right? That's what all the viewers said, too. Yeah. And then it, this is just it. Then it's just like Powell just walks out of the barn and surrenders and he's bleeding from his arm. And then John, like, has, like, PTSD of his father getting arrested and, like, starts yelling, like, no again and runs across the yard with the doll and starts beating Powell on the ground in handcuffs with the doll and all the money comes flying out of the doll. Mm. So this is where the movie should have ended, right? This should have been the, the final part of the movie. But it's still 15 more minutes to go. Um, mm, return of the King Syndrome. <laughs> in the last 15 minutes, they sum it up by having a, I guess, a little Christmas party where... It shows John and Pearl 
uh, I guess, falling into a wonderful life with Rachel and the other orphans who um, all get Christmas gifts, except for John, who is too cheap to buy per- or Rachel anything <laughs> and gets her an apple instead. He had $10,000, but he... Her, her own apple. Her own apple. <laughs> so uh, Thanks, this John. is where our, our, our traditional, the line for the movie comes in, where the, the final line of the film, uh, minus Rachel's ramblings, is John, um, no, is with Rachel telling John that you can't be a man unless you can tell time properly or something like that. Like, I need a man around that can tell me the time. That's right. And that's the end of the movie. No, don't forget the mob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me talk about that. So, so before this happens, Powell goes to jail and Mrs. Spoon is at the courthouse for the trial and she just starts like screaming to lynch him at this <laughs> point and just like gets everybody all riled up and they like go to the streets with like pitchforks and 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 uh, torches and chairs and like bed frame. I saw a bed frame in there, <laughs> and they're like going down this middle of the road, demanding that they're going to hang this guy. When the judge already said that they were going to hang him, they've got a bunch of folding chairs because this is a this is a wrestling mob. So they all have folding chairs yeah. to. <laughs> hit him with. Um. But so so they're going to kill this guy, right? He's already been sentenced to death. The mob is already outside, like freaking out. They take Powell and they run him out the back door and we see the guard guy who like said he hated being a guard at least I think that's who he was mm-hmm. and they're like we're saving this one for you and the guard guy's like I'm actually gonna enjoy this one or I'm gonna feel good about this one and they're all like they all laugh <laughs> and they drive away with this guy to go fucking put him up in a tree and Ruby's screaming I love him don't kill him <laughs> yeah Ruby the the oldest of the orphans oh so um I want to come back to my point about how this uh so powell is just incapable of moving quickly so when he first shows up at uh uh what's her names uh how did i forget already old, Very forgettable. old lady rachel's yeah uh john is like on the side of the porch and he goes to try and kill john he pulls his switchblade out and john goes under the porch and uh uh, Powell like tries to crawl under to kill him I guess damn my sciatica <laughs> Rachel comes out with a shotgun but he's just like rummaging around underneath uh, that's the right. porch she pokes him slowly. with it <laughs> so she has to poke him with it so, she, <laughs> so he knows she has a gun oh my god it's like you're looking at these takes and you're like oh my god we couldn't do a more like fluid take like yeah like the physicality of this movie what director was like yeah this is good this is good yeah, i'm buying that tense this is tense she's got a gun she pokes him with it so he can crawl back out of the, the porch well, and like, <laughs> he's he's just like i'll be back to kill you and she's like okay i'll see you then it's a date and then he shows <laughs> up what a waste of a classic movie trope too though because she has a pump shotgun like wouldn't it have been better just to make for him the noise. to hear the to hear the racking of a sh- of a pump shotgun. Yep. Then so that the... he doesn't have to like get bu- poked in the ass by the barrel. <laughs> they <laughs> they hadn't invented fully work yet, so they couldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. And instead of so, calling the cops and be like, "Hey, this crazy guy's threatening to come kill me tonight. Can you guys watch the place?" It. She's like, "Nope. We'll just uh, <laughs> we'll let it lo- we'll let it roll. We'll see if he tries." She was like, "No." Let's not call the cops so I can sing in harmony with this dude before I shoot him. Well, I think I have a, like, 
sneaky suspicion she hasn't called the cops because she's afraid she'll be arrested for child abuse after all the beatings she's been handing out throughout the film. <laughs> yeah. When uh, when John and Pearl first show up uh, on the boat, she's like, "Have to switch." Yeah. She's like, "Get over here so I can switch you." I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> not a hi. What's your name?" <laughs> she's like straight up offended that those kids aren't like picking vegetables for her already. <laughs> she's like, Get inside. Like, and then John's there for ten seconds and she spanks him. <laughs> like, oh Two God. more tax write-offs. <laughs> Oh, they're from West Virginia. They're not paying taxes, man. <laughs> I mean, it's not hard to get away with murder in this town, so I don't know why she just didn't shoot him right away. Oh, there's just so many little things they could have done to, like, ratchet up the thrill because you go, oh, there is no choice here. Nope. One of my last notes here, the the thing that makes a thriller like this good is the antagonist needs to have some kind of supernatural premise, right? Like... Look at uh, Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. You know, he wasn't outright supernatural, but that guy was like, you know, there was some qualities about him that, like, he appears out of nowhere, that kind of mm-hmm. shit, right? Yeah, they, they have some sort of unstoppable trait that you can't figure yeah. out. Like, a true scary antagonist doesn't slip on jars or step on cats. And scream, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And he wails himself into the barn and then stays there until morning. Ugh. Like, he would have been scarier if, like, as they're going down the river, he's just always kind of down there, like, singing next to them, like, tormenting them. But it's so 1950s movies. Like, I don't know when they fixed it and decided how to make scary movies. But... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it would have been much creepier if he actually enjoyed the hunt. As the title would have yeah. kind of led. He's tormenting right? these kids now because he just likes to torment. And like keeping them awake so they're sleep deprived. And then they they have they end up falling asleep because they're so sleep deprived. Maybe they find a house along the river and he kills the family so that they have to escape again. You know, like he just is always there. But no. Well, hold th- on, June. Maybe there, Maybe his supernatural ability is what John said about him not sleeping at all. Maybe he just... <laughs> insomniac <laughs> <laughs> that the whole chase sequence was just so stupid okay so tops they had like a 10 minute head start down a <laughs> slow moving river on a tom sawyer raft <laughs> powell's on a horse you're, you're like what what are the kids gonna do make a left turn on the river i know right <laughs> That's why they needed, like, Uncle Jim to, like, wake up or something and buy them time or just something. Not, he's like, oh, there's damn mud and I can't swim. (laughs) If only these horses can run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I have one final question before my notes are done, but what happened to the money? Evidence, probably. Cops probably took it. Did Did they just take it? I would assume so. It was bank robbery money. I, you know, that's what I would think, right? Because at some point, someone has to care about it. You make a but good point. In this why go through city? all this fucking trouble to, <laughs> like, yeah, how would they know that's the bank money. robber money? Here you go, kid. Here's your ten grand. <laughs> you dropped it. No, okay. So it's it's an either or situation, and neither option makes sense because this kid has gone to all this trouble to conceal this money and protect it, and then it's just gone at the end. Like, why why did we go through all this fucking drama for him to just like? All right, here you go. Wasn't he yelling, I don't want it anymore? Yeah. It should have been like, 
he gave it to the lady so that they didn't have to live poor anymore or just something like something but good then with the, the cops money wouldn't yeah like oh, this is the killing all over again yes <laughs> I, I noted that down too i just i just keep seeing in these old movies that uh, large sums of money are just MacGuffins. yeah like it it, it yeah, drives sure. what little plot there is and then it's just all gone at the end you know yep. what it really is? It's the stuff that dreams are made of. That's right. They just, they just they, at this point, they just write it off the show. And then it ends with the, she's looking at the audience going, the children preserve or something like that. Like, children oh, yeah. are the strongest. They, they abide. And I was like, no, then they it turns aren't. Into a, <laughs> it just turns into a Hallmark movie where she's, you know, giving some weird speech to the camera. Like she just becomes a narrator. I was waiting for like you know those movies like at the end of Blood Diamond. It's like donate to this organization in order to help Blood Diamond. Like donate to this organization <laughs> to help children hunted by psychos. Like <laughs> it would have been better if the old lady when when John comes up with the apple for Christmas and gives it to her. She's going oh an, an apple how nice John. It's not like you could have given me ten thousand dollars that you had the entire time. <laughs> uh. To answer your question, Jack, yes, $5,000 made it into the evidence locker. Yeah, <laughs> maybe two. <laughs> Is that why this uh, movie cost so much? Because they kept wrecking their pile of money and had to go to the bank to get more. <laughs> they didn't use fake money. <laughs> it, it took way too many takes for the, the little girl to cut him up into human shapes. <laughs> Why are we using real money? Shut you up. It needs to be authentic. You can't just make fake money. <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> All right. Well, as far as some facts about this movie, um, so maybe worth mentioning. So this is based on a true story. Um, all the drama about stolen money is uh, is crap. But the, the real story was this guy would... Uh, uh, a serial killer would like um, meet women through uh, like personals ads and like you know uh, get romantically involved with them and then kill them for their money, and so that was the sort of the the factual basis of this. So all of the stuff about uh, the the children and double crossing and secret heist money, that was you know that's there's a reason that didn't make sense. That's the reason that they didn't feel real because it wasn't. But beyond that. So, like you said, June, budget of 600000 And how much did it make? Can't imagine a lot. This is well-regarded. Somehow. <laughs> um, I can't seem to find box office info. So, according to Wikipedia, so this is selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry, the uh, influential film magazine, Cahia du Cinema, uh, selected Night Hunter in 2008 as this... So that in 2008, they decided this as the second best film of all time behind Citizen Kane, which wow. I, I realize Citizen Kane is a controversial topic here. But here's my thing. Like, no doubt Citizen Kane and this movie, too, are influential on the history of all of cinema. Right. And they were certainly good films and they're interesting films. But that's like saying, you know, we reached the peak of literature with Shakespeare, right? Like, there's no doubt Shakespeare is good, but we have written things in the 600 years since then. That are more entertaining. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, Citizen Kane, Night of the Hunter, sure, maybe they were great. But we also have Saving Private Ryan now. Or <laughs> You're you telling know. me you like Saving Private Ryan more than Night of the Hunter? 
<laughs> More importantly, we have night hunters now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, super well regarded. Uh, at the time it came out, it was... Um, it was the 1950s. Just leave it at that. Yeah, it, it got in a lot of trouble, actually, because uh, um, I think Protestants wanted to boycott it because it, it had a, the preacher in a bad light. Well, if I can if I can actually say something serious about it, I did notice that this movie was very anti-religion in a way. Like it, all the characters were very um, uh, Bible kind of pounding kind of people, but it it was I feel it was bringing that to center stage and and kind of not making fun of them, but showing that they're all a bunch of. Uh... Um, I don't know. I feel like I see what you're saying, but I also kind of feel like that's a result of watching this movie in 2020. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, like they even go to the trouble to make it clear that this guy isn't a real preacher. He's just pretending, you know. Like, <laughs> don't uh, tell that know. to the Legion of Decency, <laughs> right? Who gave the film a B? Legion of Decency. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the decent den. <laughs> so I actually have a lot to to say about the the kind of meta shit about this film. The only. Mm-hmm. The only box office result that uh, I could find is on um, uh, IMDb itself. It says the cumulative gross of this movie was $2,000. So a real real hit. On a $600,000 budget. That is a hell of a flop. Yeah. and uh, I feel like something doesn't add up there. It's almost like it was not released. <laughs> it, it, it could be an error, but uh, it, uh, it does say that he... Uh, the fucking uh, director, um, Charles Charles Lawton, he like took the bad performance of this film very personally, and I don't. He never made another movie. Probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, People are so, saying this movie is scary. I don't don't understand it. It's got some thrill. I will say there was some moments where you're like, Ugh, come on, but like a couple quick cuts would have really spiked that up. But you know. I think some one of the best uh, summaries of this movie comes from the, uh, one of the executor, uh, executives at uh, United Artists when he got a test screen. He basically said, it's too arty. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it literally was like this director, you know, just got out of a semester of film class and added every little fucking thing that he learned in little bits and pieces of this film, but never tied anything together. It had a huge identity crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, of the cast, uh, only two actors, to my knowledge, uh, did much, many other notable movies. Uh, Robert Mitchum did a few. He was the, uh, he was Powell. He did a few other uh, movies in kind of a similar uh, era. He did a lot of war movies. Peter Graves, who uh, was in Airplane. <laughs> That's... <laughs> <laughs> the pinnacle of movies. So he uh, he starred in Airplane alongside Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a lot. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I guess, you know, now now comes the part where, you know, we, we make our stamp on the world. Where do we rank this movie among the movies we've seen? June, where do you put this one? I think I'm going to put this one at number 23 uh, between Annie Hall and Short Term 12. Interesting. I think that's fourth to last. Shane, where do you put it? I'm going to put mine just under Annie Hall at 24. 
So I really don't want to watch Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or The Last Picture Show again. Mike? So I'm going to follow suit and put it at 24 as well, uh, just because I don't remember what Touch of Evil was about, but it must be better (laughs) than this movie. (laughs) And um, so I kept thinking to myself as I watched this, this is like the killing, but worse. So I have to put it below the killing, which is already pretty low. The killing is kind of entertaining, at least. Yeah, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof at least had 15 interesting minutes spread throughout that movie. (laughs) So I got to put it at 25 second to last, just above the last picture show. And uh, finally, do you recommend watching it, June? No. Shane? No. Watch Drive. (laughs) (laughs) Mike? No. Yeah, no for me. I think it's four no's. It's been a while since we had that. Um, Kick it from the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. No one knows. Direct to film back in the day. So <laughs> right. direct to real. <laughs> direct to real. All right. Well, what are we watching next week? And by next week, I mean next time we watch something. Ooh, this will be a good one. Um, next time we will be watching and discussing Kind Hearts and Coronets. Coronets? Coronas. Kind hearts and coronets. It is apparently a black comedy, so that might be something at least. And it has Alec Guinness, so that's that's at least, you know, something. Anyway, hmm. that's been great. Not not this not this week. Not watching this <laughs> no, movie. That, that hasn't been great. <laughs> In a broader sense. We really took a bullet for you guys or a switchblade. <laughs> some some call it a Kaiser blade. Okay. All right. Bye.